Indiana Jones stuff in there. That's, I don't know, it's cool and cheesy at the same time, okay? Anyway, we, uh, this is the sixth week that we're doing. There's two more weeks, and then we have Easter. Um, and I just want to run you through Waiting on the Spirit. There's power there for the first week. Uh, and then that leads us from going from comfort into the crisis of our world. And that, that requires sacrifice in the same way that Jesus sacrificed for us and brought us life. And then the gospel of risk leads us to a greater faith. And um, it's just important that we are willing to risk, willing to step out. And uh, as we experience God's presence, his power goes out through us whenever we risk. And that grows our faith. And then we... Uh, Four was Brian, and I, I told you last week, I think it was one of the, maybe the best uh, talk on evangelism. He just talked about holiness, the importance of holiness. As we become holy, it's not because of, it's not legalistic, it's because of love. And as we experience, we become more holy, what happens is people are drawn to Jesus in us, okay? And then um, last week, I talked about how the gospel goes out. And it was a transition from, hey, this is what, this is what we're supposed to do. Kind of, this is a theological foundation, a biblical foundation of why we are called out, why we're called to go uh, reach other people, and kind of some of the stumbling blocks, the difficulties. But last week, we transitioned into how. Okay, how do we do this? And we talked about, again, how the gospel goes out, and that each of us, you know, as the body grows, as the body grows, as each part does its work. And that involves you discovering what your spiritual gifts are, and then using your spiritual gifts within the realm of influence that you have as the Spirit leads, okay? This week, we move into the specific areas of what that looks like. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about three weeks, not two, three weeks, we're going to talk about what does it mean to move, it says, into Jerusalem, let's get that scripture up there, to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Okay, so we're going to be going over this, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, uh, upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. Okay, so we're called to witness, we're called to apply this, we're called to apply the how in these three areas, or these four areas, okay? Today, we're talking about Jerusalem, okay? And so we have uh, a discounted airfare tickets over to Jerusalem, that we're going to be traveling as a church, and um, we're using the rest of all of our budget to get numbers. No, we're not doing that. You think I sort of, it's not talking about that. I know. You guys are too smart. Jerusalem is our hometown. Jerusalem is the ministry that's under our nose. Jerusalem is kind of what I talked about a little bit last week, the place that it's easiest to begin because we're surrounded by it. We don't have to travel anywhere. We don't have to go anywhere to experience it. The Jerusalem is right here. A Greek philosopher, who I know, I don't know, it's an anonymous. A missionary isn't someone who crosses the seas, but someone who sees the cross. And John Piper said, we have no business bringing across the ocean something we have not practiced in our own hometown. Ministering to our city. Ministering to people in our city. That's what Jerusalem is. And now there's two people, there's two people groups that are living in our city that, that um, we're talking about here, okay? There's people that are like you, okay? They look like you. They smell like you. They live in the same area that you live in. They have similar jobs. They may, might, might be in this, a, a similar economic uh, a class. They might be the same race. Um, but they're, they're like you. And that might be your family. Your family should be like you. And, um, 
They, they might be co-workers that are working in the same area that you're working. It might be people, your neighbors. It could be people at your grocery store. It could be people that you see every day um, that are just passing you by, okay? But they're, they're similar to you, okay? Now, this is the easiest place to start, okay? When I used to do Young Life, it was like cross-cultural ministry because you're an adult and you're moving on to high school campus and... Parents were afraid that you were pursuing their children in an un- unhealthy and awkward and not appropriate way, right? And so it's terrifying. And you'd walk into lunchrooms, you'd walk in to different places, and there would just be all high schoolers. And you're like the adult walking in here, not knowing anybody. And it was scary. It was, it was, it was actually terrifying. It was. I have scars, wounds, and, and lots of other things going on uh, in me because of that. But um, I would tell leaders, new leaders, I was like, stick with people that are most like you. They're similar with you. Find people that most relate to you. And so if you're a surfer, find surfers. If you're a soccer player, you play soccer, go hang out at the soccer games. If you um, know anybody remotely at all, go to them first. Like just go to them and hang out with them and uh, build a relationship with them. But being with people that you know that are the most like you, that you might have contact with on a regular basis, that is the easiest place to start. Okay, and that's good. That's not a bad thing. Okay, the other group, I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Um, The other group are people that are living in your city, living in your Jerusalem, but they're not like you. Okay, they might be different racially. They might be different, different socioeconomically. They might be different in their belief system, their views, their morals, their values politically. But they are they're just different from you. Okay, you naturally would not be around People like this. It could be because of where you live. It could be because of where you work. And so these are people that you have to think of and pursue in a different way as God calls you to that. But in both cases, it's starting in Jerusalem, starting in your home. Because, I mean, we see this with Paul, right? So Paul's first missionary journey with Barnabas, he went home and reached people just like him. Citizens of Tarsus, Turkey... And the inhabitants of their home uh, land in Cyprus, right? So that's where they went first. Second missionary journey, God's like, uh-uh. And he made it difficult for Paul to settle. Like Paul was trying to go to these places, and God made it difficult. And then he ended up going somewhere else. And that is the place where God spoke to him and said, you know, you, I'm going to use you to pursue the Gentiles. I'm calling you to this group of people. Jesus, the same thing. Right? He says that I've come to minister to the Jews, the kingdom of Israel, a unique group of people. His Jerusalem. He was a Jew. His Jerusalem. And so, with each of these cases, I just want to tell you this. If you have a calling to a person, a people group, someone that God has spoken you to, spoken to you about, like, and that's all you have, that's all you feel in your heart, that is okay. Like, there's not something about God that's saying, yeah, you know, this, you've kind of settled. You know, you're just kind of sticking around where it's soft and comfy. You know, if God has called you there, you have to be obedient to his call, even though you might have people judging you, right? Well, you should be going, you know, you're, you're ministering to this group where it's comfortable and easy. Or you're ministering to that group because you want to be seen working with the poor or whatever it is. But your responsibility is to discern, find, I'm going to talk about this, find first who God is calling you to. And it's okay to be 
called to a person, to a specific people group, so that God can use you to have impact and fill you with faith and strengthen you. So as he's caused you to risk and step out and maybe to another people group, that you'd be ready, that you would be able to trust him, that you'd be able to experience his power. Okay? Now, we've seen this in our church. It's amazing how God has done this in our church. And we love this whenever God calls us to particular people. We see this on the life course a lot. You bring your friends, and your friends are similar to you. And you bring them to the life course. We share the gospel with them. They go on the weekend. They experience God's love and power. And they come into faith. And then they come into our church, and they're baptized, right? So that's one of the things we do. But there are other things we do where people feel a unique call beyond their natural group, their natural friends who they're familiar with. With Brittany... Um, Brittany Fluharty in our church is like the champion of this. And um, years ago, she felt like God was calling her to minister to women who had, were HIV positive. Okay? And uh, the baskets of love that I posted on my Facebook that she does, where you bring supplies to women who have H- are HIV positive and um, to give it to them so that they can care for their kids. Because there's a lot of shame associated that they feel within this group. And so they're hidden, they're, they hide. And so uh, one day Brittany came up to me and she said, hey, Antley, can we have um, people who are HIV positive come to River City Church? And I'm like, well, why, I mean, what's the big deal? Why can't they go? I mean, I would imagine any church would let them come. And she said, no, they won't. They're, they get, people find out, they get ostracized, or when this is asked the question, people become fearful and so I said, Brittany, well, how is AIDS spread? Like, how, how do you get HIV positive? What do you do? She's like, sex and needles. I'm like, I came up before the church. I was like, all right, River City Church, no sex, no needles during the worship service, okay? <laughs> right? And I said that, and we're like, okay, we get it, Anthony. We can do that. We, 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 we don't do a lot of the things you say, but we will do this. We promise Oh, powerful leader, to obey thy command in this area, right? And we never knew who they were, ever. But Brittany was being faithful and started bringing people who we normally or naturally would not have in our church, that she normally or naturally wouldn't hang around with, to be loved and to be a part of our family. And we, we experience this every day at the street, or every week at the street corner. And just yesterday, someone who was ministering there, it was a health Sunday where they do different things and they minister to people and make sure their blood pressure is okay and they're healthy and they pray for people, pray for healing specifically and different things. And someone who was taking, you know, there was, was working there came up to Martha and said, hey, I feel like the Lord might be calling me to open this, the medical clinic again, right? I mean, I mean, it was one of the most amazing things that we did. It requires a ton of work, a ton of paperwork, and God is speaking to this person. God is leading this person to cross a boundary, a significant boundary, so that a group of people that we normally would not mix with, that he normally would not minister to, he would be able to, and then we would be able to. And that, I mean, I love that. I love that about our church. And I could give you a lot of examples of people who have done that, all the stuff we did in Lackawanna, all the things that we did. It's, it's amazing. And we want you to continue to do that. Okay, the book uh, says this, has this quote. It says, um, when we come under the influence of the Holy Spirit on mission, our attitude towards our own Jerusalem changes. Becoming a witness in Jerusalem means going on mission in the community 
you've probably lived in for a long time. So long, in fact, that the way you see your city or community or neighborhood is in need of an overhaul. Perhaps you no longer see it at all. But as the Spirit consumes us for mission, we see our community as God sees it. Right? Isn't that, isn't that true? We get familiar. We get comfortable with our city. You know, we, we, we love our city. I love our city. You know, it's like, Duval. Right? We all have done that. I know. I practice it in the shower. Big time. I like, you got to get it right. Like, do you go, Duval? Or is it, Duval? I mean, it, you got you to work that out. Because in public, if you're going, Duval? No, that doesn't work, people. That does not work. I love our city. Every week you'll see me wearing a local, uh, a shirt from a local industry. Um, if possible, a, a shirt of someone, an industry of someone who owns this. And this is automated laundry that Kristen and Don Packard own. And so, yeah, I love our city. I love supporting our city. I know you do. But do I see the needs of our city to the point that I'm motivated to make changes? No. Because I'm surrounded by people that are like me. I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm surrounded by Christians the whole time. For most of the time, I mean, unless I go on a bender and hang out at a bar, you know, I don't do that. But if I did, that's where I would, I would meet, meet people that are broken, that I wouldn't see around me necessarily. And um, this author talks about there's ways we have to go for and pursue and find. That's the first step when it comes to people that we, don't, that we normally wouldn't work with. In our own city, he talks about Googling. I know, Google, it can be used for things that are positive as opposed to like Minecraft and other games I know all of you play in your spare time. You don't even know what that is. A lot of you don't even know. There's this other crazy game that just came online. Everybody's playing. Um, and, so, and so one of the things that helps you pursue these people is, is pursuing, pursuing people, not these people, pursuing people that are different from you is by learning about them, learning and having a better understanding about the facts of your city. And so in five minutes, five minutes last night, I Googled things like um, divorce rates in Jacksonville, where the sixth worst city in the United States. 106 murders last year, 525 rapes, 1,469 robberies, 3,482 aggravated assaults, 822 child abuse between 5 and 11 years of age. Within my house, and I live in a very comfortable neighborhood in San Marco uh, with a bunch of people that are just like me, within three miles, and so this covers, I, I looked at it, it covers Riverside, it covers a part of Avondale, it almost reaches over to, to Ortega, and it just goes a little bit into the city. 245 sex offenders. 245 sex offenders. Let me tell you this. I talk, I'm talking to Laura about this. She's like, oh, you better be careful when you say this. If you want to find everybody in your community that has aggravatedly assaulted someone, how, how would you do that? You couldn't, could you? I mean, you could, but it would be very difficult. Take a lot of time. What about people in your community even that has raped someone or that, that has been raped? Probably impossible because those records are sealed. Or someone in your community that has robbed someone. You couldn't, could you? But let's take sex offenders. Type in sex offenders in Jacksonville or San Marco. 245 people. Face and address. 
when we talk about the least and the last and the lost and going after people that no one else does, risking stepping out, there is not another group that we could mention that is farther away than sex offenders. How many churches do you know that have ministries to sex offenders? We don't. And I don't know of any other churches that do. But what an easy opportunity for us to drive in front of their house, to ride a bike, to walk by, and begin to pray for every day. Now, this is sensitive because I know that some of you in here maybe have been abused by a sex offender or have children that have been abused by a sex offender. And in no way am I saying that this is something that should be taken lightly or if sex offenders begin to come to our church that we shouldn't take precautions or or kind of work out what that looks like. But I am saying, what I am saying is that the gospel, the gospel is that we should go to them. That if Jesus was here, he would go to them. He would go to them before he comes to you. If our church becomes a place where sex offenders come, I mean, that would be, cra- that would be incredible. That would be incredible. What a blessing that God would choose us for such a mission, for such a risk, for moving into someone's crisis. That would be incredible. I've been praying that one of you, one of you, would feel this burden in this call. And that you'd begin to pray for, you'd find them, you'd begin to pray for them, and then you would relentlessly pursue them to bring the love of Christ to them, or pray the love of Christ to them. Imagine the shame that they feel. Imagine the brokenness, the struggle every day when they wake up with the desire to do something that is heinous. Repressing, some of them praying, fighting those urges. In the same way, that many of us struggle with other sexual sin. What if sex offenders began to come to our sexual addiction groups, our sexual struggles group? I've never heard of that happening. But it can happen, but it will only happen through the power of Jesus Christ, through the move of the Spirit. That's the only way it will happen. And it will require us to go after and to minister to people that struggle with that. People who have, like I've said, done horrific things. Who need someone to talk to. Who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who need to be healed, transformed. So that they can live an eternity healed of that disease and that struggle. We have plenty of brokenness around us. And God says that. We're called to those people. God says that we have to be intentional to find those people. And the way that that happens is by beginning to pray. So we find and then we pray for. You know, I want to read this little bit right here. It says, if you want to have your heart broken for the city, as it was for the apostles in the upper room before Pentecost, reaching the unreached starts with prayer. Prayer. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. When you do, your eyes slowly begin to open, and with it, your heart yawns and opens too. When I pray for the harvest, I change, despite whether the world around me does or not. So that scripture is about 
us. God praying for us to come, the harvesters to come, so that we would be changed. The world isn't going isn't to change like that. We are going to be changed, and we are going to go into the world. And when Je- Jesus teaches us to pray, how should we pray? He says we should pray the Lord's Prayer. Because when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we understand his heart. We understand the love of Jesus Christ. It reorders our priorities. Laying my life out as a sacrifice to glorifying him. Begging for kingdom expansion and submitting to his will. Hallowed be your name. Let your name and fame be known, revered, and loved in my city. Thy kingdom come. Let your agenda and priorities be mine as well. Thy will be done. Let the parts I don't like be my act of worship and surrender. Prayer. We find and then we pray. We pray the kingdom. We pray for Christ's heart. We pray for Christ's love. Because love is central to us desiring, going, and risking, and going after people at our expense. Charles Spurgeon said, the necessary two, two, there are two items necessary for reaching people effectively, and they are love for God and they are love for people. This is a great quote in the book, right? We waste time pretending that we love people when we don't. Acknowledging the truth to yourself and God is the first step in yielding your place of brokenness and helplessness and inviting him to fill you and fix your inadequacies. When we come to the end of what our natural self can do, we know this, the supernatural Holy Spirit begins to kick in. We pray for, and we pray for, in our frustration, our anger, our prejudice, whatever it is, we pray, and when we come to the end, and we realize how broken we are, we realize how inadequate we are, God moves, and he fills us with the Spirit. He fills us with the power. He opens the eyes of our heart. He renews our mind so that we, pe- we see our enemies. We see people who have hurt us. We see people that are different from us like he does. And we begin to love them. And when we love something, we pursue it. We go after it. Think about who you love the most. You would die for them. You would give everything for them, for them to have life, for you to protect them. Because you love them. The more you love, the more you love, the more you'll sacrifice, the more you'll risk, the more you'll move out of comfort. And so you have to be honest. Begin with being honest. I mean, if you have, I'm not going to get into particulars. There are so many things that have, been, that have happened to us. There are so many things that we've been taught by the world. There are so many things that we've been conditioned to believe. That there are massive barriers between us and other people. Massive barriers. And they are so great and they have been ingrained in us so deeply that you don't even know you have them. You don't even know. And it is not until you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come that he will reveal these things and you will repent. You will repent. You will ask for forgiveness. Because there is love in your heart and you know that that is not right. But we have blinders on. That's why we pray. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to come and tell us and show us who Christ is. Who the people that Christ loves are. And how we and change us so that we would love who he loves. Okay, so like you find them, right? You pray for them. But that's not enough. Because lots of us do that. 
Lots of us find them. Lots, I mean, we bump into them all the time. Lots of us find them. Lots of us pray for them. But what don't we do? We don't do anything. You have to relentlessly pursue who God lays on your heart. There's no other way. You have to be obedient. You have to choose to go after who God has called you to go after. Remember, we talked about last week. That's why he gives you gifts of the Spirit. That's why he fills you with power. You experience his presence. We go out in power. And that there is a God-shaped vacuum in our city that only you can fill. There is a hole in the heart of our city and the people of our heart that he has prepared for you to move towards, for you to be obedient to. And when you do, it fills the hole in our church of people that we are called to. And we begin to function and be the church that God has created us to be. So just do it. I know that's cheesy, but that's what you got to do. You got to find them. You got to pray like crazy that God would change you, change your heart, open your eyes. And then you got to go for it. You have to go after them. And so this is what the enemy's going to do. Oh my gosh. This many people raped. This many people aggravated us all. This many, this many, this many. Oh my word. That's just too much. I'm just going to pray. He's going to overwhelm you. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't let him do that. Just don't. Just know he's going to do it. And don't let him. It says this. I can't do everything. But I can do something. And I will not let everything I cannot do keep me from doing the something that I am called to do. You can do something. Or rather, God can do something through you to reach the community around you. Don't we want that? We've talked about that. Don't we want life to fall? Don't we want to experience the same thing that we've experienced when we became a savior, when we became, when we became a Christian? I, I, that was a little slip-up, but I think it was a little prophetic slip-up. Don't we want to become the savior to other people that God uses, God fills us to save others, to rescue others? There's no greater adventure. No greater adventure. Who has God put in front of you? Who in your Jerusalem, who in your city has God put in front of you that he's laid on your heart, laid on your mind? Go find them, pray for them, and relentlessly pursue them. Okay, and we're going to move in and do something different now. I want to set it up, though. That was like a setup. That was like a warm-up, right? You're like, oh, my gosh, that was so long. Okay, well, remember that story I told you last week about the... I was on my motorcycle. Someone started talking to me. It was awkward. They were inviting me to spend the night, like, go on a motorcycle trip. We're talking about motorcycle trips. Hey, it's over in Sarasota. Why don't you just come over and spend the night? I'm like, what? Well, I work on Sundays. I can't go a week. And they're like, that's okay. We can go so-and-so and so-and-so. And I'm like, oh, my word. That would be great. Give me your card. Right? And so anyway, um, and then, uh, so I get his card. And he says, well, you know, I, uh, who are you? He says, Will Courtney. And I, I oh, that's his name, Will Courtney. He gave me permission today. His name's Will Courtney. And um, he said, well, who are you? And I said, Antley Fowler. And he goes, he says, oh, I know you. I was at Carson and Thomas's wedding, um, and you were doing the ceremony. I know who you are. And my wife, Heather Lane, was in your Young Life Club. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know Heather. And he, he goes on to say, my, our baby, um, we just had a new baby. I don't know how we got there, but he's having surgery this Monday, open-heart surgery to get this valve fixed. I was telling you, I left, blew him up, like, whatever. Yeah, I'll pray for your baby, I said. But I wasn't planning on it. I was in the shower. 
Don't laugh at me. All you do that. You, I mean, I told you, you got to be honest before the Lord, right? And y'all are laughing like, ha, 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 does that like I don't. You're lying. All right? Confess, repent. That right now, okay? Anyway, this story gets better, okay? So, so I'm going to go pray for them. I'm in the shower. The Lord says, Antley, you need to go pray for them. I sent them a text. I told you all this last week. Sent them a text. They said, oh, that'd be great. I have to go pray for them. Well, thank you, Carson Vandergrift, and that's now Richardson, for sending them the sermon. <laughs> Think about that awkwardness. For sending them the sermon that I'm talking about them. And I'm making fun of the husband being weird. And awkward. They're watching right now. And so I'm just going to drive that nail home, right? <laughs> okay. And so he's watching right now. And so it gets better. Okay. So, and so it goes out to them. I get a text from some of our friends that go to church. And they're like, Heather heard the sermon. And I'm like thinking, Heather, your sister-in-law? They're like, no, Heather Lane. I'm like, Heather Lane Courtney. This, this, the, I'm like, whoa, what? How? And they told me, well, Carson sent it to them or whatever. And so it turns out Carson had been up there to pray for this baby. This other Maureen, I'm telling names today. Maureen went up there to pray for them. And that's who was like doing this dialogue with me. And I'm thinking, I have to go up there and pray for them still. This is going to be so awkward, you know? And so I text him, like, can I come up now? He's like, yeah, I didn't say anything, right? And so I walk in the, the hospital room. And I and immediately it's like, I know you heard the sermon. And they, they all start laughing. And uh, we all start laughing. We ended up having a great conversation. We prayed for the baby. And I've been checking on him the whole week, seeing what's going on. And uh, last night, I texted him. They were supposed to go home. And I said, hey, um, I uh, was wondering if I could share kind of the rest of the story with the church. You know, just because it's hilarious. It'll set up funny things in my talk. It'll make people think I'm a great preacher, right? And so... And a risk taker. So I asked him if I could use, if, if I could tell the rest of the story, and um, and I said, "Did you go home today? How's Baby Lane?" And um, this was the response: "Yes, you can use, you can tell the rest of the story." A blood clot from the surgery went to the brain, and caused Baby Lane to have several strokes that caused some brain damage on both sides of the brain. The brain damage is causing localized seizures they don't they don't think he'll have any permanent brain damage but they don't know but they have to find the source of the blood clot and how to stop it he is currently hooked to an eeg i think that's what it is and they have to continue the anti-seizure meds and monitoring not what i expected right you know on a sunday morning many of us come here and we want powerful worship we want to leave with an experience of god's presence we want to leave with a sermon that is dynamic and that gets us excited about jesus but and those are all good things but in this season of evangelism wouldn't it be great if we were able to allow god to open our eyes to what is happening here that we i don't want to leave thinking about a good sermon i don't want you to leave talking about how good worship is. I want you to leave today looking at what God is doing with this church. That a random set of circumstances ends up with God putting us in a position to reach out to this family and evangelize, love them, and pray for them. 
God could have chosen any church in Jacksonville, churches with a lot more people, to pray for them with a lot more prayers, but he chose you. He chose you because he is not teaching us about evangelism. This morning, he is calling you into evangelism. He is calling you into love. He is calling you in to exercise your power, your heart for this baby, for this baby to be healed. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to intercede for this family and we're going to intercede for this baby. We have some slides up here right now. And we're going to pray. We're, we're going to pray. We're going to ask for God's presence and we're going to ask for God's power because we've learned that, right? And we're going to ask for God to, what's he going to do? He's going to soften our hearts. He's going to open our hearts to love this baby in a way that we, we don't right now. He's, you're going to love this baby when you leave and you're going to keep praying. We found, we found him. We're going to pray for him. And then we're going to relentlessly pursue God to heal him. Okay, so there's going to be a slide right there. And I want everybody to stand up when we pray. His name is Lane. Baby Lane. Lane Courtney is his name. We need the first priority is that the doctors would find a source of the blood clot and stop it that there would be no permanent brain damage, that the seizures would stop, that for peace and rest for their family, and for Jesus to meet them, for them to experience his love. I'm going to start the prayer, then Brian Robinson's going to come up as the director of children and family. He, he deals with this and prays for children a lot more, me, more than me. And so we're going to all pray, and we're, all, all, we're going to all pray out loud because that's risky and that's uncomfortable. If you're a visitor, like you don't have to pray out loud, okay? Because we know that's different. And we know you stepped out just being at River City this morning. And we're glad you're here. But if you're part of our family, we, we talk about risk. Talk about moving out of comfort. This is a little step in that direction, right? We're going to pray out loud. I'm going to start us. We're going to pray out loud. And we're going to go for it, go for it. Brian's going to be up here. And then he's going to end us in prayer. And then we're going to close with a song of worship, praising Jesus. And so let's pray.